And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to a Halloween episode of The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix from 1944. Then it's another true murder case on Crime Classics, starring Lou Merrill from 1953. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? This is something I think you'll appreciate. So CBS mm-hmm. is going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of a very special show mm. that premiered September 11th of 1967. Mm. Any guesses? 1967. Could it be... Um, Maybe the Ed Sullivan show? If not the Ed Sullivan no, show, maybe the earlier. Jack Parr show or something like that? I think those started in the 50s, didn't yeah, they, could be. those shows? What show? All right, this is the Carol Burnett show. Oh, my gosh. Right? Really? Yeah, this is going to be... 1967? A- yep. Whoa. I mean, you were just a, a wee I was a wee little... Baby. I was still in a crib. You were a baby? It's really hard to picture that. <laughs> I was <that>. four. <laughs> I was four years old. You were in a crib I was probably four? getting in trouble. Probably. No, I wasn't in I a hope crib. not. No. So this is going to be a two-hour special. It's yeah. going to be on December 3rd. They're going to film it at Stage 33 at CBS's Television City in Los Angeles, which is the show's original soundstage, which is... Really nice. Yeah. So this to our special, she's going to reminisce about some of her favorite sketches. She's going to have a question and answer session with the audience. There'll be guest stars. She's going to talk about her wardrobe bloopers, which are always my favorite. They had some great bloopers on that show. Oh, sure. And, of course, talk about the effect that the show continues to have. On today's audiences. Still Even in reruns. Still yeah. in reruns. Amazing. She'll have some original cast members. Vicki Lawrence will be there. She's got some of her actor friends who will also show up. We have Jim Carrey and uh, Harry Connick Jr., Jay Leno, Jane Lynch, so just to name a few. And, of course, this was a comedy showcase that was way, way, way ahead of its time. Yeah, one of the best, that's for sure. Always the and best. And she's still such a delight. You see her on things, and she's so great. She's I so know. talented. She's I so know. humble. Just love Love Carol she's, Burnett. She's very special. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. All right, let's uh, let's get back to this Life of Riley program. We started listening to it last time. It's from October 29, nineteen forty-four, a Halloween show. Here's the conclusion to the Life of Riley. <laughs> Digger, do, do you hang around this old house much? Oh yes, indeed. It's one of my favorite haunts. Haunts. <laughs> Listen, you don't think there's anything in there, do you? Who knows? Sometimes as I stroll through this old garden, I feel unseen eyes follow me. You do, huh? (laughs) Riley, you're not going inside the house. Well, we thought we might drop in a minute. I could be talked out of it. (laughs) Take my advice, Riley. Remain outside. 
Enjoy the beautiful flowers. They're my favorite flowers. Lilies. <laughs> Digger, when you talk about lilies, please don't stare at my chest. Strange how some people have no interest in horticulture. In my profession, we have a saying. You may not like flowers at first, but eventually they grow on you. <laughs> By the way, Riley, how tall are you? Well, I'm about five feet. Uh, uh, why? I'd like to borrow your overcoat Saturday. To wear at the football game. Oh, sure, sure. I'll pick it up at one o'clock. Uh, I want to get to the game before they kick off. Farewell, <laughs> hey, Riley. Oh, bury me not on the lawn. <laughs> Here's the door to the house, Pop. It's open. Well, leave it open. Why? Uh, well, one thing, Junior, nobody will never be able to say your old man was a coward. Let's go in. Now let's go out. <laughs> oh, wait, Pop. We've only been in one room. We're supposed to go through the whole house. As far as I'm concerned, this is a one-room house. Come on. <laughs> Wait, Pop. What for? I... I told the kids you didn't believe in ghosts, and then I said we'd have another seance, like we did at home. Junior, a blood relationship can only be stretched so far. <laughs> oh, Pop, you said you'd do it in a haunted house, and that if we didn't hear anything, it would prove there wasn't any you-know around here. I already proved there wasn't any you-know around here. Well, you didn't do it right. Well, I... I found out for a seance... The medium has to be tied in a chair so it can't pull no tricks. Well, okay, Junior. I'd be glad to let you tie me up. Only there ain't no rope. <laughs> Too bad. Well, I brought some rope, Pop. That was swell of you, Junior. I'll remember this. Go ahead, tie me. Can you move your hands or feet? No, you tied me so tight, Dan Green is sitting in. <laughs> now, stand over by the window where I can see you. Well, here I am, Pop. Ah, you'll see, Junior. There won't be any wraps this time. Hope you're right, Pop. Of course I'm right. How can there be any wraps when I'm tied up too tight to wrap? And I also got my eye on you. Well, go ahead, then. Ask if there's any ghosts here. Okay, now. If there's any ghosts here, wrap two times. If there ain't, don't bother. No raps. Oh, now say, if there are any ghosts, to rap three times. Uh, okay, but there won't be any. If there are any ghosts, rap three times. Uh -huh. uh, uh, Junior, did, did you do that? Uh, I, I didn't. Didn't you? Frankly, no. <laughs> Junior. Where are you going? Out the window. Come on. Well, come back. Untie me, Junior. I can't get this chair through that window. Junior. Oh, Pop. 
Bosh! Pop, I can't get the nuts loose. Well, I better go get a knife. Well, Junior, you don't... 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 don't forget to come back. <laughs> I had to open my big mouth for wraps, and I got wraps. <laughs> Fine thing, all alone in a house with a... Uh, what's that? Who, who, who's that? What are you doing in my house? I, I must be going crazy. Why did you come here? I, I wouldn't stay, lady, only I got tied up. <laughs> I will loosen the knots. Yeah, but, uh, well, thanks. Ooh. Who are you? I am Alice Sherwin. Now I know I'm crazy. I'm talking to a ghost. Pop, Bob, come on. Well, Judy... Please, don't tell anyone I'm here. I, I only want to be left alone here in my house. I got a knife and... Pop, you're untied. Yeah. And it was the ghost that done it. Wait a minute. Her hands. They weren't no ghost's hands. Junior, you go outside and wait for me. Oh, what are you going to do, Pop? I'm going to have another talk with that, that lady ghost. Why did you want to see me, Mr. Riley? Well, when I... I figured out you wasn't a ghost. I got to thinking how lonesome you must be in this house all alone. So I thought maybe you'd like to take a stroll over to my house and meet my family. Oh, thank you, but oh, I... If, if you'd rather not talk, I'll go away. No, don't go yet. I mustn't be rude to my first guest in so long. Oh, thanks. Must be kind of a shock when... First man you see in so long looks like I do. <laughs> Tell me about your family, Mr. Riley. Well, my my family's named Riley after me. <laughs> Very nice people, too. That was my son, Junior, that was with me tonight. It must be wonderful to have a son. Oh, it's great. I got a daughter, too. A girl. <laughs> She's, she's 16 now. The boy's 13, but getting older all the time. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's Peg, that's my wife. She's older than the kids, but younger than me. <laughs> Say, in that picture of you over the fireplace, I guess that fellow with you, that's your husband. Yeah. That's Robert. He's a good-looking fella. Maybe you'd rather not talk about him, though. Silence won't bring him back. My wife told me about what... what happened. Of course, she didn't know the part about your being here. I don't want anyone to know. I want to stay here, alone, with his memory. It's the least I can do in loyalty to him. Oh. You mean you, you think that's what he'd want you to do? Of course. Does that surprise you? Well, yes, ma'am, it does. I didn't know him, but from his picture there, I know he was a swell guy. 
I wouldn't think he'd want you locked up here, throwing the rest of your life away. Do you think any man wants the wife he loved to forget him in, in a year or ever? Well, no, but there's, there's different ways of remembering. I don't understand. You, you can make his dying count for something. By helping to beat the people who started this war and teaching the world that it won't pay to ever start another. You think that I could help end this war? Sure. Everybody can do something. The only thing a person can't do is, is do nothing. Oh, I... I guess you think I've been very selfish, Mr. Riley. Oh, no. No, you've been shut up in this empty house. You just didn't know what was going on. The people I can't understand are the ones who do know and still don't care. Those people live in something worse than an empty house. They live in an empty brain. Well, I'm not one of them, Mr. Riley. You, you've given me something to think about. And I'm very grateful. Oh, well, gee, that's fine. Well, I guess I'll be going. I'm sure glad you ain't no ghost. Of course, I ain't actually scared of ghosts because... I know there ain't no ghosts. Are there? <laughs> of course not. You know, Mrs. Sherwin, it, it is kind of dark out in that garden, isn't it? Would you mind walking me to the gate? <laughs> Hiya, Dumplin'. Hey, I got some big news about Halloween. Yes? Well... You, you, you know, I, I think I'm going to open up a one-man recruiting outfit. I'm going to recruit waves, wax, spars, and spooks. <laughs> Tune in The Knife of Riley, starring William Bendix, next week at this time. This is Ken Nile saying, see you next week. This is the Blue Network. 7.30 KECA, Los Angeles. And that's The Life of Riley from October 29, 1944, with a Halloween show about a haunted house starring William Bendix, also in the cast, Paula Winslow, John Brown, and Conrad Binion with Ken Niles announcing, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. When we come back from the break, it's a true crime case on Crime Classics. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. I want to remind everyone listening that my book is available. I wrote a book called The Top 100 Classic Radio Shows. And it's a big coffee table book. And it highlights and details the top 100 classic radio shows like Abbott and Costello, The Shadow, Suspense, Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, The Whistler, Inner Sanctum, Burns and Allen, these types of shows. And each each one of these shows is a double-page spread. It's a full-color book. There's hundreds and hundreds of pictures about these classic radio shows. These are a period pictures, and there's a detail about when the show started, who the cast was, who the producers were, the sponsors, and 
and you get three CDs as part of it. They're embedded in the book. You can just take them out of the book. And in there are six classic radio shows. And then you can go to a special website and download 78 classic radio shows, all for the price of only $29.95. And if you order it from my website, I will autograph and personalize it to you, and I'll ship it to you free. So just go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, Hollywood360radio.com, and order my book, The Top 100 Classic Radio Shows. I'd love to personalize and autograph it to you. It's only $29.95, and as I said, I'll ship it to you free. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. All right, it is time now for a good crime series called Crime Classics. It was a docudrama that came to CBS June 15, 1953. Lasted only one season. It was created, produced, and directed by Elliot Lewis. This was a true crime series examining crimes and murders throughout history. It grew out of Lewis's personal interest in famous murder cases and took a documentary-like approach to the subject. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Let's go back to a broadcast date of July 13, 1953. This is called The Terrible Deed of John White Webster and His Crime That Shocked a Nation. It stars Lou Merrill. Here's part one of Crime Classics. Good evening. This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Hyland. I'm going to tell you another true crime story. Listen. The man in the striped pants and red galluses and celluloid collar is Master of Arts and Doctor of Medicine at Harvard University, as well as Irving, Professor of Chemistry and Mineralogy at this institution. Quite an educated man, a scholar. He has just turned on the faucet, for a reason. He has just dissected a colleague, and he needs to wash away the blood. This is Thanksgiving week in the year 1849. The dissector's name, John W. Webster. The dissectees, George Parkman. Dr. Webster has just committed murder, because Dr. Parkman was a stubborn man to the very end. And tonight... My report to you on the terrible deed of John White Webster and his crime that shocked the nation. Crime Classics. A series of true crime stories taken from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Highland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now once again, Thomas Highland. The place is the Massachusetts Medical College on Grove Street in Boston in the year 1849. The college was a three-story building, the top two floors of which were reserved as offices and studies for the faculty. Dr. Webster occupied two high-ceilinged rooms on the second floor, just below the suite occupied by Oliver Wendell Holmes. On the afternoon of November 23, Dr. Webster had a visitor, a man much taller and heavier than him, a man of scholastic bearing, a man whose spectacle ribbon touched lightly his mutton-chop whiskers. His name, Dr. George Parkman, doctor, lecturer, creditor, a man with a purpose. I want my money. You'll get it. When? When I've got it. I must tell you something, Dr. Webster. Oh, can't you just drink your tea and enjoy the afternoon? No? Very well, then. Tell me something, Dr. Parkman. You're a dishonest man. 
Lovely autumn afternoon. A cheat. No surgery to do. A thief who beguiles his friends. I'm not only speaking for myself, you know. You mean you've been commissioned by my other creditors to come here and insult me? Now, Doctor, can't we just chat? Of course we can. Gentleman to gentleman, doctor to doctor, of course we can. Lemon, sugar, money. And what to chat about? Hmm, I know. In surgery yesterday morning, a most peculiar thing... You're an amazing man, Dr. Webster. You combine your great skill with being a great rascal. Oh, come now. I lent you $450 as mortgage on your property. And you turn around and mortgage it again. Someone else for $600. How can you do such a thing? Quite simply. I need a sum of $1,000 and my property is not worth that much. Good day, Doctor. Dr. Parkman. Yes? Are you going to the police? Yes. To disgrace me? I don't care about the results. I do. Dr. Parkman. Don't plead with me. Of course not. I have something in the kitchen I want to give you. It's about time. Quite. I should not have waited this long. Come along. Dr. Parkman, you couldn't give me an extension of a few weeks. Certainly not. Certainly not. Just give me my money now. (gasps) I have no money to give you. And you want to disgrace me. And I see no other way. Don't be a fool. No other way. And so Dr. Webster killed Dr. Parkman. And, as I have indicated, Dr. Parkman died hard. At this precise time, the murderer must have observed several moments of contemplation and reflection on what he had done. To consider it, to assess it, and being an intelligent man, an evaluation of the mess he had gotten himself into. Such moments of intimate musings we cannot know, nor as gentlefolk should we intrude upon. So, give Dr. Webster his moments and let us perform a superficial examination upon the man biographically. That's the first portion of Crime Classics. We'll have more after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Crime Classics. I have here a copy of the Boston Herald of the day. It gives Dr. Webster a neat spread on the front page and says, among other things, this. He was born in Boston about the year 1788. He came from a family of considerable wealth and respectability. He received a most liberal education and adopted the profession of medicine. In 1833, he visited the gay metropolis of Paris, France, and afterwards went to the Azores. In 1837, he was elected Irving Professor in the University at Cambridge, Massachusetts. When his father died, he inherited (laughs) $40,000. I would just like to depart from the paper for a moment to tell you that when he inherited this money, eggs were 12 cents a dozen. $40,000 which he wasted, which he threw heedlessly away into the vortex of fashionable life. Money went, debts came, and so on. Nothing novel. Money went, debts came. So did a wife and two children. So... Having given Dr. Webster his moments, back to him now and observe. 
instrument of death still in hand, pale, still laboring for breath, suddenly a murderer. Instrument of death no longer in his hand, but no less a murderer. Dr. Webster? Well, I... I'm here. You haven't forgotten, have you? Uh, what? The tea. You said come to tea. Oh, yes, 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 I remember. Well, aren't you going to ask me in? Uh, no. But you said come to tea, and you said you would sell me a ticket to your lectures. Oh, I'm sorry. Come in, come in. Sit down, my dear. Oh, you were teasing. The tea things are all ready, and you've, you've already poured. Miss Montgomery, my dear. Yes, Doctor? Drink your tea, and the tickets are five dollars for three lectures. I know how much the tickets are. And you know what? What? You've forgotten the cream. I know where the cream is in the kitchen. Uh, Miss Montgomery? Yes, Doctor, dear? You don't want tea, do you? Not really. Then pay for your tickets and get out. Are you serious? Yes. Well, there will be a vacant seat in the front row for your next three lectures. Goodbye. Hello, Mr. Littlefield. Uh, Mr. Littlefield, I said... Ha I heard what you said, Doctor. How are you? I'm all right. And how are things with you, Mr. Littlefield? Uh, what do you mean, Doctor? Well... Uh, in the janitoring line, you mean? Uh, that's right. Well, it's the same as it's been for the last seven years. Janitoring in a medical college like this, things don't change much. Oh, I see. One day is... Just like yesterday. Except today. Oh? You did something strange today. How could... You came down here in the basement and talked to me today. First time in seven years you've done more than say hello to me. Oh, I am sorry. I've been rude. Yeah. You're a doctor. So many things on your mind. Hmm. Uh, I'd like for you to help me with something, Mr. Littlefield. What? Well, if you were to play a prank on someone, hide something from someone so that someone would never find what you hid, <laughs> where would you hide it? You mean around here? Yes. Oh, lots of places. Just a minute, I'll look to the furnace and I'll be glad to help you. Mm, need some coal. The furnace? What? It, it needs some coal. I just said that, Doctor. Yeah, now, I'll be glad to show you some nice hiding places, Doctor. Come on along. Yeah. What are you figuring on hiding? Now, that would be telling, wouldn't it? Big? Small? Oh, kind of like this? Medium, huh? Yes, I would say so. Fine. Just follow me, Doctor. Uh, here. Here's where I come whenever one of you doctors tells me to store his old records. It's a large room, isn't it? Let's go inside. 
uh, up here in the attic. No one ever disturbs these old storage crates. Huh? Oh, time for me to be going home, Dr. Webster. A few more places, Mr. Littlefield. And so forth. A lot of places. Good hiding places. Rarely visited, if ever. So Dr. Webster shook the hand of Ephraim Littlefield, thanked him, and bade him good night. Don't draw, Doctor. Don't mention it. And Dr. Webster went back to his apartment on the second floor of the building. No melodrama. The body of Dr. Parkman was still on the kitchen floor. And there was work to do. Light the candles. Turn on the faucet and get to work. Man at work. Dr. John W. Webster. Master of Arts. Doctor of Medicine. Surgeon. Dr. Webster by candlelight. Finish making the tour. Downstairs. Upstairs. Further upstairs, the attic. At two o'clock in the morning. And so forth. Work done. And the next morning, about ten, according to the records... Good morning, Mr. Littlefield. Good morning, Doctor. How are you? Same as yesterday. Well, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, isn't it? Same as last year. So, what do you plan to do to celebrate? Same as everybody else. Dinner? Oh, sure. At home? Same as everybody uh, Here is something for you, Mr. Littlefield. What? Oh, go on, take it. It's ten dollars. Well. <clears throat> well, thank you, Doctor. And I want you to buy a nice fat turkey and everything that goes with it. Yes, certainly will. I, uh, <coughs> thank you again, Doctor. And uh, very much. Happy Thanksgiving, Mr. Littlefield. Happy Thanksgiving, Doctor. And they shook hands again and bade each other goodbye again. And the Thanksgiving season was upon them. Let's talk about Boston for a moment. A city of genteel culture and tradition. And in 1849, the bookstores were advertising a cultural tome entitled The Runaway Wife, A Tale of Intrigue and Passion. And during the Thanksgiving week, Boston was enjoying the festival that it had practically invented. Here and there in Boston, a man named Dr. George Parkman was missed. But to take his place in the minds of men was celery, turkey, oysters, pumpkin pie, and quince. I would like to add parenthetically that Dr. Parkman was dead, and the only person who was sure of this fact was Dr. Webster, his killer. The same Dr. Webster who at this moment, cold steel in hand, carves surgically from the turkey's sternum and passes then the second helping of white meat to Mrs. Webster. Now you may pass your mother the celery, Mary Ann. Martha? Yes, dear? The oyster stuffing is succulent. Oh, thank you, dear. You and I and the children, we have much to be thankful for. You're a kind husband, that's why. You provide. Pass the squash. Marianne, pass your father the squash. Mm, I'll get it. Yes, sir? 
Good afternoon, Doctor. I'm so sorry to disturb you. Yes, what is it? Well, I'm from the police, sir. Cliver. Daniel Cliver. Oh, please come in. Well, I see you're having your Thanksgiving dinner. I don't want to disturb you. Oh, do come in. Come in. Won't you join us? Well, thank you, no, sir. What, uh, what may I do for you? Is Dr. Parkman here? He, uh, seems to be missing from his usual haunts. Oh, John. Uh, Dr. Parkman is missing from his usual haunts. And I thought you might give us some information as to his whereabouts. Me? Well, two days ago, he was seen going into your study at the college. Two days ago. Two days ago, that would be Tuesday. No. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Tuesday, he visited with me and we had tea. Stayed for perhaps uh, an hour and then left. You're sure of that, Doctor? Well, sir, in situations where it is important to be certain, physicians such as I can be counted on to respond with accuracy... Well, uh, Tuesday, Mr. Cliver. Since that time, I have not seen Dr. Parkman. Will you have some sherry? Thank you, sir. No, I... I'm sorry I disturbed you, sir. Dr. Parkman not seen in his usual haunts? I wonder where he can be. I can't imagine. Marianne, pass the yams. Homey scene in Boston, Thanksgiving Day, 1849. Typical festive scene, and I suppose typical too, for Boston men whose deeds of murder are two days old. And janitors have holidays too, and families and groaning boards. Mr. Littlefield, for example, in his small brick house in Cambridge, near the college. Care for more dark meat, Mrs. Littlefield? No, don't mind if I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you are. Juiciest bird we've ever had to table. Juiciest. What did you say, Mrs. Littlefield? <sighs> Juiciest. You know, Mrs. Littlefield, it still worries me. About the turkey? The sudden generosity of Dr. Webster. I, uh, it, it bothers me. Why he should have given me the money for this dinner. Eat Ephraim. Thinking is a bad sauce for a tasty dish. Still, a man who hasn't spoken a civil word to me in seven years to give me a gift and to ask me of hidden places. Eat, Ephraim. And the thing now of Dr. Parkman, each year for the last seven at Thanksgiving time, he hands me a dollar. This year, he did not. I haven't seen him. Not for two days now. I wonder... What you imagining? Mrs. Littlefield? Yes? i better speak to people. That's what. That's right, Dr. Jackson. Me and my wife were talking it over. And I'm happy you came to me, Mr. Littlefield. Yeah, kind of putting one and one together we were over Dr. Webster's turkey, so to speak, if you know what I mean. I know very well what you mean. Dr. Webster's asking about those hiding places. And uh, Dr. Parkman's disappearance. Both happening at the same time. One and one together, I see. What do you think, Doctor? Time for action, Mr. Littlefield. Let's call on Dr. Bigelow, and the three of us will seek an answer. Forces gather. Forces conspiring to destroy Dr. Webster. The Furies, the Fates. And their names? Dr. Jackson, Dr. Bigelow, and the man of the gratuitous turkey, Mr. Littlefield. And, as is common in classic tragedy, 
The pursued senses of feeling in the air. All is not right. Something is amiss. Forces are gathering. Dr. Webster felt it. He tried the air the following morning, sniffed at it. Oh. Sensed it immediately. Oh, my. What's wrong, dear? Uh, nothing. But you look so pale. Nothing wrong. A kiss, dear. I'm going to work. Oh, something's wrong. I'm sure of it. And having kissed his wife and sniffed the air again to make sure, Dr. Webster didn't go to work at all. Instead, he called a hansom, gave the driver an address, and was driven to a more or less fashionable part of town. Gave the driver his fare, received a wink in return, and knocked on a door. Why, Dr. Webster. Hello, my dear. I'm honored. Please come in. I really didn't mean it, you know. Mean what? About not coming to your lectures. I, I wouldn't miss them for the world. I've come to give you your tickets. Here. Thank you. They're free. <laughs> Miss Montgomery. Yes? When Dr. Parkman left my apartment the other day, Tuesday... What? Just after you came in, didn't Dr. Parkman look... Dr. Parkman? Didn't he look nice? In good health, robust, springy step. You you recall you remarked on his springy step? I? Yes. Oh, you've done something naughty. What have you done? First tell me what happened when you came to my study at the college Tuesday to buy tickets. Well, I knocked on your door. Uh, very good. You opened it for me. Good. Bade me enter? Yes. Introduced me to Dr. Parkman, who was just leaving. Oh, excellent. We watched him go. And you said? My, what a springy step Dr. Parkman has. Bravo, bravo. Don't be troubled, Dr. Dear. I'm your friend. Your very good friend. Which was nice. Because if ever a doctor needed a friend, his name was Dr. Webster. Because let's not forget the Furies, the Fates, the two physicians and the curious janitor who have gathered and discussed a certain hypothesis and came to an agreement. Let's take a walk around the building. And they did. Downstairs. Upstairs. Further upstairs, the attic. Three o'clock, gentlemen. I guess we know all we need to know. Jackson and give this intrusion upon your study, Dr. Webster. We've been waiting for you. I have the keys. I let these gentlemen in. You, I didn't give you permission to do that, Mr. Littlefield. Uh, you know Dr. Bigelow, of course, Doctor. And I've heard you've met Mr. Cliver of the Boston Police. Gentlemen, will you take over, Mr. Cliver? Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Dr. Webster. Yes, sir. We found Dr. Parkman, or rather, these gentlemen did, and they called me. They showed me where Dr. Parkman was. I see. How is he? 
Come now. The last time I saw Dr. Parkman, he was the picture of health. A man with a springy step. You are under arrest, Dr. Webster. And they took Dr. Webster away, and they locked him up and held a trial for him. And in spite of his protestations, found him guilty. I must tell you, too, that Miss Montgomery, shy girl that she must have been, completely disappeared in the face of adversity. While waiting for final sentence to be pronounced by the governor and council, Dr. Webster maintained his usual good spirits, partook heartily of the food afforded him by his friends, and generally behaved himself. Then the sentence was handed down. He was to be hanged. Oh, no. By the neck until he was dead. I confess that I killed Dr. Parkman. There. That makes up for something, doesn't it? On August 31, 1850. Doesn't it? And that's when he was hanged. For a deed of blood. For a murder most foul. In just a moment, Thomas Highland will tell you about next week's crime classic. Dr. Webster, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, and the program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. In tonight's story, Jay Novello is heard as Dr. Webster. Featured in the cast were Paula Winslow, Martha Wentworth, Jean Howell, Herb Butterfield, Junius Matthews, and Larry Thor. Bob Lamont speaking. And here again is Thomas Highland. Next week, St. Joseph, Missouri. On a hot April day in 1882. The time? The exact moment when Jesse James turned his back on Charlie and Bob Ford. And my report to you on the death of a picture hanger. Thank you. Good night. Stay tuned now for Gary Moore with Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. And remember, there's action as a policeman really finds it in 21st Precinct, Tuesdays, on the CBS Radio Network. And that's Crime Classics with the terrible deed of John White Webster and his crime that shocked a nation starring Lou Merrill from July 13, 1953. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break, then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. It's very important to me to offer you the best sound quality. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoyed listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and start collecting all your favorites. 
favorites and brilliant sound quality. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the Hall of Fantasy, plus a Halloween story on our Miss Brooks as our Halloween programming continues here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you next time.